It's the Harvard Observer Podcast, recording live here on this Sunday morning, March 5th. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. What is up, Painter? Big day, big weekend. Big day, big weekend. We got a whole lot to talk about. We've got Auburn basketball. We've got uh, the win over Tennessee. We'll look ahead to the SEC tournament some. Kind of see where Auburn stands right now in the NCAA tournament field. Whole lot of basketball to talk about because it was... I mean, honestly, the biggest win of the season for Auburn. And I said going in, probably the biggest game in arena history in terms of like the stakes. Last, you could argue last year against Kentucky, the scope and the and the and the scale, um, the attention that that game generated. And then on top of it, of course, Auburn doesn't win the outright title in the SEC uh, last season if they don't beat Kentucky at home. So that game was in January. This one being a regular season finale, being huge. We'll talk every angle from Auburn's big win over Tennessee. Also, we got a good bit of football to talk about as well. First week of spring practice in the books. Spring break upcoming for Auburn, so no practice this week. Be a perfect time to kind of recap everything we heard and, and and saw from the first week of spring ball. Also, we talk a little NFL combine as well because Auburn uh, had uh, had had some players, specifically two of them, uh, tear it up at the combine in Indy over the weekend so appreciate everybody listening uh you can help us out as always by giving us five stars on apple or spotify write a quick review uh and uh, it really really helps us out a ton gets more people uh, to listen to the show which gets more people to subscribe to the observer all that fun stuff you guys are our greatest marketing tool um and also by the way you can subscribe to the observer for 40 bucks for a full year uh between now and the end of a day weekend we'll talk about that more here in a moment all right here we go auburn big win over the tennessee volunteers this one was one that auburn absolutely needed especially with the way i think everything shook out in the sec tournament bracket auburn 79 tennessee 70 painter this is a game that auburn has wanted to have for a while and it was another situation where once again Close game, final minutes. In fact, Auburn down three uh, with uh, 6-13 left to play. Santiago Vescovi, who was so, so good for for Tennessee in this game, hits a jumper. Tennessee goes up by three. Uh, Auburn, from that moment on, Auburn outscores Tennessee 19-7. Tennessee doesn't hit another shot from the field. Tennessee turns the ball over a few times. All of their point production comes from the free throw line. And Painter, I know we've talked about this. When we've talked about Auburn down the stretch of games, I think there's been a lot of attention this year, and rightfully so, on the offense because the offense has had its issues and it's had its struggles, has its um, limitations. And so when Auburn would lose these games late, a lot of people point to, well, they can't get the offense going, they can't get the offense going. If you go back and look at those games, the bigger problem has been they have not played the defense they had had in the first 30 minutes of the game and the final 10 minutes of a lot of them. Go back to the A&M losses, Georgia uh, on the road, um, Alabama recently, Alabama at home. Those losses came because Auburn wasn't able to string together stops. And in this game, when they absolutely need it, needed it, the defense was lights out down the stretch. And that was the big thing. Like defense and rebounding win you championships. Defense and rebounding carry you in March, as Bruce Pearl likes to say. And so yes, we'll talk a lot about how good Auburn's offense was, especially in the second half of this game. But the big thing is Auburn won this game. As Bruce Pearl said, point blank, they won this game because Tennessee couldn't score down the stretch. 
and that's huge for Auburn. They needed to have a defensive stand to win these games um, late. They're able to this time. Think about the Vanderbilt game, not being able to get a stop late. This one, they string together stop after stop after stop against a team that's number three in the country in net, and they get a win they absolutely needed. So defense, defense is is the thing that I know I want to talk about a good bit from this game because, man, they Tennessee had hit six straight shots at that point, and then Auburn turned their water off for the rest of the game. Like I said, missing the last seven from the field, had a couple of turnovers. Only thing they got was from from the free throw line, and the free throws ended up being pretty inconsequential uh, because I think six of them happened. Yeah, six of them happened in the final forty seconds when Auburn already had the game in hand. I am still skeptical that this team can put together performances like this and the one that they gave against Alabama consistently as we move into single elimination time. Uh, but if they do continue doing this, it certainly harkens back toward the beginning of the season when a lot of the conversation was about the ceiling of the team. So much of the conversation over the last month has been about its shortcomings. Yeah, and I know you lose at Alabama, and that's what, you know, that's the most important thing is the winner or the loss. But. You keep in mind when Janai Broom was out there, Auburn was up by eight. You know, I think he found out Auburn was up by eight at that point. A full strength Auburn team played, I think, its best game of the season against Alabama, and I would say this one was even better uh, because you were able to finish it off for for sure. So the fact that this team goes from getting pasted in Rupp Arena last Saturday where it just, for the first time all season, they look like they just didn't have any fight left in them to come back and then, I think, play their two best games of the season at this time when they needed it. You know, it was just, hey, win a game. You're probably in the NCAA tournament. And the fact that they came close to doing it against Alabama, and that that is heartbreaking. It is a gut punch. We talked all about that uh, a few days ago uh, from the Auburn perspective. For Auburn to pick it right back up and say, okay, this t- Tennessee game, let's play another awesome game. And they did. They did. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means. You had some stretches where uh, the offense wasn't clicking quite as well. The bench didn't give you a ton. But it didn't matter because you score 79 points against Tennessee. I mean, Wendell Green having 24. Janai Broom with 17. Allen Flanagan with 16. Uh, Jalen Williams with 13. Zepp Jasper with only two. But tie for the team lead to plus minus because he was a key reason they – were able to shut down Tennessee down the stretch. Go back to the way Auburn defended late in the game. They get a stop. They put Zepp Jasper back in the game. Not the best game for KD Johnson after you know him, him having this nuclear game against uh, uh, Alabama a few days earlier. That'll happen. Zepp Jasper comes into the game, and Santiago Vescovi does not score again the rest of the way. Um, Allen Flanagan has to draw Josiah Jordan-James who was Tennessee's best weapon on offense during the first matchup. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James doesn't hit a shot past the 17-minute mark in the second half, and Allen was out there for most of that uh, for Auburn. And then they make a, a really interesting call because Tennessee was big in this game. And I think the one thing we've talked about as well, Painter, is that this team, what they what they lack in like top-level talent and offensive consistency – I think one of the the two big things that come back for this team is, one, they have a ton of resiliency. They pick themselves off the mat and keep fighting. Number two, 
they play really well with like specific game plans. And I think Bruce Pearl and his staff, Mike Burgermaster got a ton of credit for this as being kind of the offensive coordinator of this game. Um, but on the defensive side as well, this team locks into scouting reports really, really well, and they execute them. And so even though they might not always have just the raw talent to beat some of these teams, and they've had their problems. Don't hear me say that. They've, they've had their issues. They do a good job of molding themselves to the matchup and playing really well. And in this case, Nozakai Ziegler changes a ton for Tennessee on both ends of the floor. And so Zakai Ziegler, who I think, man, tough, tough rate of him t- tearing his ACL early this week. I think Tennessee is going to um, – it's going to be interesting how Tennessee handles the postseason without him. Zakai Ziegler is like 5'8", five, 5'9". But I think he locked down like SEC Defensive Player of the Year that because the impact he had when he was not or the impact of him not being on the floor was huge. We'll talk about that from the offensive perspective. But on defense, Nozakai Ziegler means Tennessee's going to go big naturally, right? Your smallest guy's not on the floor anymore. Viscovi, who's six three, plays the point guard spot. Their other backup guards that they played, Tyreek Key, uh, uh, Jemai uh, Meshack. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, a little on the taller end. And then, you know, Josiah Jordan James is what? Josiah Jordan James is six six. Uh Julian Phillips is six eight. There were there were a, uh, there was a lot of times in that game where Josiah Jordan James was playing the two, essentially, and Julian Phillips was playing the three, and Tennessee was throwing their bigs like a, like an ultra big lineup. So on defense, Auburn's given up a lot. And if you know you have to put Zepp Jasper because he is the honey badger and you have to play lockdown on the guy who can't stop scoring for Tennessee in Santiago Vescovi, and you know that you need to keep Alan Flanagan on Josiah Jordan James, well, Wendell Green Jr., Julian Phillips is about a foot taller than you. Good luck. You're going to need it. Um, this is a tough game. This is going to be a tough matchup for you. And yet Auburn... He hung in there. I mean, he got a steal at one point on him. And I think Julian Phillips Julian Phillips barely scored down the stretch. Let's see. Uh, Julian Phillips hit four free throws uh, in the second half. And, um, yeah, hit six free throws in the second half. Only hit one shot for the field. That's what you absolutely have to have. And it's just when you have a guy – when you have guys who are giving up half a foot or more – on defense and Zepp Jasper and, and, and Wendell Green Jr. to their matchups. Um, and I was, Zepp is a few few inches, sorry. I was, you know, but um, a, a half a foot in some of these matchups that we've seen this year, you absolutely need to just – it's just effort and determination and, like, just all those fun, fun buzzwords. Like, you, you just got to keep fighting. And Julian Phillips is not as polished of an offensive weapon – uh, in this game to necessarily take full advantage of the Wendell Green Jr. matchup. And to Wendell Green Jr.'s credit, he's a feisty defender, and he played exceptionally well. So you can't really tell the story of this game. We'll talk the offense because it was awesome, but you can't really tell the story of this game without the stretch Auburn had late. And they were completely outsized by Tennessee. And Tennessee still didn't score uh, you know, a field goal in the final six and a half minutes because of the work that Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green Jr., Talk about it. How many times have we taught this season for Auburn? Oh, the guards are just—they just haven't been good enough. They've gotten a lot of criticism. You know, Auburn needed to upgrade. You know, this was this is what's holding them back this year. In a game that they absolutely had to had to have, 
credit goes to those two guards there, Auburn's starting two guards, in a season where they've gotten a lot of criticism, they help come through with, with winning performances for you on the defensive end. I mean, now, more than ever, that's going to have to continue as Auburn was on the wrong end of some experienced guard play in a single elimination format last season. Now, you can add in that Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith did not have good games. If there's going to be more of what we watch from the guards, like we mentioned, in a loss to Alabama where there was still some good performances, and of course the win against Tennessee— it might change some of how you feel about the postseason. I still think that most of us are, one, happy that they got to 20 wins. They're almost certainly going to be in the tournament. It takes out a lot of the nerves of whatever you might have felt like you needed to do in the SEC tournament if you don't get the win over Tennessee. But taking it back to the guard play, much improved recently. Um, my concern is... What sort of consistency do you get out of those players? Uh, you'd like to think, having played together last season, uh, that it might be possible that they're hitting a bit of a stride. Absolutely. I do think it, you know, compared to last year, compared to some other years for Auburn, you want to be playing your best basketball at the end of the season. And here we go. In, in March, so far, Auburn has played its two best games. And, I mean, that that ought to give you confidence more than maybe, you know, if they could have picked up uh, a, a win. I mean, it would have helped them in the tournament for sure, but say they would have been able to pick up one of those A&M wins or not lost to Georgia. Yeah, that would help. But I think more importantly is that they're playing better basketball right now, and and that, that, should, that should help carry Auburn moving forward. A big part of this matchup, obviously, was the guy Ziggler's absence. Tennessee's the best defense in the country. Um, it's right to point out, and I think Bruce Pearl even mentioned this after the game, that Tennessee's probably not as elite on defense, uh, even though they are really, really good still statistically, without Zakai Ziegler. Because Ziegler is a just a, a, a monster at creating havoc at the front. Um, Ziegler, you know, top 40 in the country in steal percentage. Um, you know, and they had a guy in Meshack that who, who could do some of that, but not in, not as consistently as we've seen Ziegler do it. Uh, his defensive rating is just off the wall. Um, you know, really, really good this year. And without him, you felt like Auburn's guards had more room to operate on the offensive end. Um, so it does matter. It does matter that Zakai Ziegler was not in the game. However. This is an Auburn team that has not been able to play super consistently and super efficiently on offense this year. And the size of Tennessee, you know, not only did Auburn overcome that on the defensive end, they used it to their advantage on the offensive end. Wendell Green Jr. has 24 points in this game. He has 15 in the second half, uh, perfect 6-6 six six from the free throw line. He goes 2-4 from deep, including that big corner three uh, right at the end of the of half. Like, Auburn was – like struggling late in the late in the first half, they hit a corner three, get some momentum. First two possessions, bang, they're they're tied it right back up to start the second half. Just changed the vibes of the game, which I thought was huge. Wendell Green has twenty four ties the season high for him, ties an Auburn high for him. And look, he came into this game the last five games he was shooting twenty five percent from the field. I mean, he had been not been playing really good basketball, but Auburn continues to keep the faith in Wendell Green Jr. and the confidence he continues to play with helped him in this game. 
there's a there so Tennessee's playing big in the second half and so Auburn's trying to get picks and trying to get matchups they're switching a lot of those bigs are on Wendell Green Jr. in that game and Ira Bowman uh Auburn assistant coach Ira Bowman tells Wendell Green hey run at them they can't they can't hang with you they're either going to foul you or you're going to blow right by them and go to the bu- bucket and what happened in this game Wendell Green Jr. blew right by him or or, or uh or got fouled and there, I mean, there was even a case where he hits a big AM one late in the game. Um, same kind of situation, just getting that step. Uh, Tennessee, without Ziggler, Tennessee did not have the same quickness uh, and defensive prowess in the backcourt, and Auburn took advantage of that by using Wendell Green Jr. to attack that way. And, Painter, you just said it. Can they do it consistently? Every matchup's different. I mean, I think Bruce Pearl did a good job of downplaying the effectiveness of the offense in this game because he pointed out, okay, this matchup, we did this and this and this. It, it's different. It's not You're not going to get that every game. You're not going to be able to do the things you did against Tennessee in this matchup. You're not going to be able to do them against Arkansas in the SEC tournament necessarily. You're not going to be able to do it to whoever else you face the rest of the season. Every matchup and every game is different. You just got to tweak it. But no Ziggler. This was a game, Painter. It kind of felt like going into it. It's like, all right. If Wendell Jr. is going to get back in his groove, it's got to be this game because now you're heading into the postseason. He's had some struggles, and this is a matchup that he can take advantage of, and he did. And um, I think full credit goes to the coaching staff and to his teammates for, I mean, there's been some rough stretches, and he he missed a lot of shots late against Alabama. They still give him the opportunity to get the green light in this game, and he delivers, and he was was, – you know your best player on the floor on on Saturday. It's either him or Jalen Williams, um, but they did it in two totally different ways. Uh, but I mean, Painter, it's 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 monstrous for Auburn that Wendell Green Jr. is playing more at this level at this time of year after some some really really n- not great offensive performances from him. The seniors. Let's talk about the seniors here real quick. This was Alan Flanagan and Jalen Williams played outstanding basketball. We talked about the defense that Flanagan played on Josiah Jordan James. Jalen Williams, here's his line from this game. 13 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 0 turnovers. He's the only he's one of only 3 forwards in Division 1 basketball this season to have a game with 7 assists, at least 7 assists and 0 turnovers. The other two uh play for Cleveland State and Canisius. Not not exactly playing the Tennessee Volunteers in a, in a must-win game. Uh, apologies to the Golden Griffins and the Vikings. Uh, phenomenal game from Jalen Williams. Uh, the only other two players for Auburn since 2010 that have had that kind of line in a game are both point guards, Sharif Cooper and Javon McCormick. Both of those, by the way, SEC wins for Auburn. Something to be said for coming up, coming up big in the clutch. Uh Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan both play really, really well. At Flan, uh, he goes 5'11 from the field and, and just 4 or 6 from the line, which is fine. But 2 or 3 from deep. Some of the shots he hit were really tough ones. Uh, and then Jalen Williams, just, you know, when he gets the ball, he just makes things happen because he gets people in mismatched situations. He runs it. And he's just playing with a lot more confidence right now um, here late in the season. But I mean, phenomenal game from him. He was plus 16. Uh, that tied Jasper with the best mark on the team. And uh, look, I mean, 
Bruce has said it throughout the season, uh, Painter, like your best players have to step up. And in this game, you get those kind of performances from Jalen Williams, that kind of performance from Allen Flanagan. Uh, and then uh, Janai Broom, 17-7 with four blocks. I mean, he was great on defense late. Um, it, look what happens when you get to keep him on the floor when, when he's not in foul trouble. Uh, and he outscored and held his own in rebounding for the most part against Tennessee's bigs, who are awesome at it. That's another aspect of this game that was wild. At one point in the second half, Auburn was down 9-1 to one in the rebounding mark in the second half. Um, the rest of the way, 14-7 to seven for Auburn. Jedi Broom, a big part of that. But this is what you want. Like, you want your bench to play better, and you'll have moments where your bench can, you know, step up and, and hopefully contribute a little bit more. But in a game that you have to have at the end of the season, the fact that your best players and your most veteran players are the ones carrying you to a victory, that's that's why you're there, and that's why you lean on them heavy for, for all those minutes. Wendell Green barely sat out in the second half. Uh, same went for guys like Jalen and Janai and Allen. Like they needed, they needed those guys to deliver, and uh, they did. They 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 did that, and uh, you know that had to be really special for those guys, especially the two seniors uh, who could still come back. Bruce Pearl is we talked about it uh, during the game as like, hey, um, we'd love to have him back. It would be it would be great if we we could have him back. So that door is going to be open, uh, at least for for Jalen Williams and Allen Flanagan, but. Phenomenal game for those two guys. I am curious to see what happens with the rotation as they get deeper into the postseason. I mean, it's not uncommon for things to tighten up across the board for a lot of teams, and so much of the conversation this year has been about the team's depth. And um, how many minutes did you say Wendell ended up playing in this game? 34. I'll tell you another thing. Zepp Jasper played 24. That's the most he's played since the USC game. And so, like, it won't surprise me if we continue to see more of that. I know Pearl likes his depth. That's no secret. However, it seems like there's just been a pretty clear cutoff of of productivity. And as as it gets farther into the postseason, I wonder if things stay the same or if they just lean farther into that. It wasn't to say, Bruce said after the game, it wasn't to say that the bench played poorly in this one. They just didn't have as much box score contributions. I think some credit should be given to, uh, you know, Katie Johnson hit a big three during, during the second half. Uh, Trey Donaldson early run in the, in the first half on offense helped kind of keep things going for Auburn uh, with Wendell Green getting some rest. That was big. Uh, Yohan Treor, uh, two boards, two assists, uh, playing backup minutes behind Jani Broom. Um, no Dylan Carwell in this game, and the fact that you had to go to Treor, even he's though he's a guy who's not played a ton in SEC play, didn't really hurt him at all. And I think that's a really good sign for for Auburn's depth. I think that's a good sign potentially for Treor's um, development in his future. And then uh, you know Chris Moore, uh, a couple assists and a board as well from him in nine minutes, and then two rebounds, a foul, but two massive points. For one, Leor Berman. Painter, I don't know how it came across on TV. Leor Berman's dunk is one of the loudest moments I've ever heard Auburn Arena, or Neville Arena, or whatever we're calling it. It it sounded like a jet taking off in there. I mean, think about as 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 loud and as big a moments as you've ever heard in that building. That one ranked right up there. Because on senior day, the walk-on in a scramble possession, great play by Katie Johnson to keep that one alive, Goes up and 
Wasn't the cleanest dunk in the world, but man, that's a dunk. That's a dunk on senior day. I don't know if he's dunked at, at any other point in his career. I mean, that might have been that might have been the only one. And uh, Leo Berman getting his moment. And I mean, we're recording this on Sunday morning. I have seen people tweet videos and reactions and photos from that. Like it is, it's all over the place. It's 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 the moment that Auburn fans really really were waiting for, and they, and they got it in this game. I was not looking at the screen when it happened, and I'm glad they showed the replay. But the pop came across. That's, I mean, I was eager to see the replay because I, I obviously heard the commentators talking about it. I'm sure it was fun to be there because it was. It came across uh, watching it on television. It was a roar. It was a roar. And as as Auburn's, uh, you know, Twitter account said, uh, you know, during the game and. Uh, echoing the the great Excalibur, I mean, you got to give the people what they want. <laughs> that was a Leor Berman dunk, uh, but really cool moment for him in this game. So the, I mean, the bench doing a decent job, I think, of, of holding the line. There wasn't like a, a stretch in this game where it was like Auburn was really really struggling, and you can point to the as you look at the rotation charts. Yep, there was a little bit of a drop off uh, in the middle of the first half. Uh, with with some reserves on the floor, they ended up kind of stabilizing it. Second half, they were fine. Uh, but I mean, what a game! What a complete performance from from Auburn on the offensive end. Man, they scored forty three on this team <laughs> in uh, in Knoxville. They scored seventy nine. Um, they scored forty nine in the second half, which I think is the most. I think that might be the most points Tennessee's given up this season on in a single half. I think that's right. Yeah, Colorado was at 46 earlier this year. Again, no Ziggler makes a difference, but in the second half, Auburn averages 1.485 points per possession. That is elite off-the-charts efficiency. They score on 69.7% of their possessions and only turn it over twice. It's another thing in this game. No Ziggler obviously affects that. Tennessee's not as disruptive. Auburn took care of the ball in this game. Six turnovers in total. Four in the first half, two in the second half. Um, and it's like Auburn, there were times when Auburn was struggling to get second chance points. Outscored 13-5 to on that one. Tennessee was winning the board battle uh, for a decent part of this game. Bench points, we've talked about it as well. But here, here are two, here are two I, you know, actually I'll, I'll, put, I'll put three in here to keep, keep an eye on. First, points in the paint, 34-28. to so no Ziggler, but points at the rim. Auburn was 14-19 and 19 on shots at the rim in this game. There have been some games where they have been way, way below that against defenses that are nowhere near as good in the paint as Tennessee is. And so, yes, again, no Ziggler, but he's 5'8". He's not keeping you from – he's not necessarily a rim protector out there. But the other two stats to keep in mind, um, Auburn had 21 points off of turnovers. Tennessee had four in this game. And uh, fast break points, 15 for Auburn, zero for Tennessee. We know Tennessee doesn't like to play fast. But Auburn made a made it a point to get out and run with these long rebounds and turnovers and go because, as Pearl said after the game, if you're playing the best defense in the country, you might want to attack them before they really get things set and before they get their stuff established. Um, and they did just that in this game. And so you're able to overcome – not being as strong on the boards, which is what Tennessee does, and not having as much bench production from you know point production from your from your bench, you're able to overcome that in this game by just 
really, really leaning on that fast break offense, letting your quicker, smaller guards take over. And then knowing that, you know, guys like Jalen Williams and Wendell Green, and I would even say Janai Broom at times, are just a little bit more nimbler and quicker footed than what Tennessee was putting out there on the floor. So uh, that's how you attack a matchup. That's how you attack a matchup. We'd said it coming into the game. Tennessee is not a bad matchup for Auburn in terms of who they are um, uh, in their their playing style. And uh, without Ziggler, it just it just really, really, uh, really, really stood out. So excellent defense and an excellent offense in a game for Auburn. Tweeted this on uh, Saturday evening. So I'm repeating this if you've seen it. Uh, but our buddy Pablo from Friends of the Program wanted wanted an update on this. Here's the stat, ladies and gentlemen. Auburn, since the Tennessee game, so that's a month. That is a solid calendar month. Since the first time Auburn played Tennessee this season, they are shoot, They have shot 64 of 165 on three-pointers. That is 38.8%. That is top 50 in college basketball, and that leads the SEC in three-point field goal percentage in the last month. So, yes, Auburn, the team that was one of the worst three-point shooting teams in America for most of the season – over the last month, they have been one of the best, and they have been the best in the SEC. Again, consistency, you can you can point to a lot of those things you were talking about earlier, Painter, but not only is Auburn playing better basketball right now, might not always show up in the, in the win-loss column, but they're playing better, cleaner basketball right now at this point in the year, and they're shooting the ball better. I mean, honestly, this is the best shooting stretch Auburn has had uh, – Probably the best month of shooting we've seen Auburn have since, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say the Final Four team, but it could be the Final Four team. Uh, there might have been a month last season with, with Jabari and those guys, especially early in the year uh, when they shot better. But, I mean, this is what you want. This is what you want down the stretch. And this team continues to have confidence to let it fly, and they're hitting them. Katie Johnson is shooting with more arc. Um Alan Flanagan has been really confident pulling the trigger. Jalen Williams is more confident pulling it. Janai Broom is becoming a sniper from deep. Uh, Janai Broom, uh, you look at his three-point field goal percentage. uh, In the last five games, he is now 5 of 12 from deep. So nearly 50% uh, for a a center. You want to see him unlock that shot late in the season. He's definitely got it. Um, really, really, uh, really, really good offense right now from Auburn. Again, they don't have an NBA starter, you know, in this in this rotation. They don't have an All SEC scorer on the floor, but they are playing really good team basketball. And when they shared and they cut down turnovers, they had a ton of assists in this game. This was uh, eighteen assists to six turnovers. Meanwhile, Tennessee, 16 assists and 11 turnovers. That's one of the best assist teams in college basketball. When they're sharing the ball like this, and as Wendell Green Jr. said after the game, guys aren't aren't hunting their own shots, and they're not worried about how many they get necessarily, um, and they're sharing the ball. This is what's going to happen. And so a a very, very positive development. We'll see if it lasts. I mean, you're now at the point in the year where it's, like you said, Painter, single elimination and shooting can be very fickle. Um, but I do think it should give Auburn fans some confidence heading into the heading into the tournament that they are shooting the ball as well as they have all season. They are playing as offense as good as they've had all season. 
and um, that matters. That matters. Also, in this game, it helped Auburn a ton that they could actually hit free throws because, good grief, Tennessee, there were some there were some moments where Tennessee just couldn't hit hit anything on uh, uh, from the stripe, and um, Russ Plasic is uh, that was oh, two zero for two trips to the line for Plasic, but the crowd couldn't get free gooey fries. So I mean, what does it really matter uh, in the end? Uh, but yeah, I mean, even sh- even shooting, taking a step forward on free throws in this game and three point shooting. Uh, will uh, will will help you out a lot if you're Auburn. I don't know if you're done talking about the Tennessee win. You did mention we, the tournament, be. and I simply ha- have to remark on how funny it is that Auburn has drawn Arkansas. It and, and like everything that could have happened there. It's like okay, well, if Kentucky beats, if Kentucky, if Arkansas beats Kentucky, there's some hope, and then it was like. Oh, you can still weasel your way out of it if LSU beats Florida and LSU's up on Florida by like double digits early in the second half, and it's just like just magnetically drawn to Auburn, Arkansas once again. And so Thursday evening in Nashville at Bridgestone Arena, it's going to be Auburn, Arkansas round two for the season. Um, the difference in this one, of course, is Arkansas is full strength ish in this game uh nick smith is back uh for and is actually playing for arkansas the potential lottery pick that was not there in the first game for for arkansas uh he had 25 on uh on saturday against um kentucky since he came back nick smith has scored 25 12 24 26 and 10 in uh his extended minutes in this game in these games Gonna be a tough matchup, but we knew that coming in. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, was it was it going to be easy? The good part for Auburn is that like you really, really benefited from winning that game against against uh, Tennessee. We can talk about the bracket implications of it, but Arkansas uh, once again. I mean, the 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 metrics love them still. Arkansas finishes the regular season nineteen and twelve, eight and ten in SEC play. Um, they've got some good wins at Rupp. Uh, they also have a pretty good win somewhere else. Uh, San Diego State was a great win for them. Um, had some close losses to some really good teams as well. Here's the thing about Arkansas. They've lost five out of the last seven. The two teams they have beaten during that stretch uh, is a Colin Castleton-less Florida at home and Georgia, who just kind of fell apart at the end of the season. They lost to Mississippi State at home, lost to Texas A&M in College Station, lost to Alabama on the road, lost by 18 to Tennessee uh, earlier this week, and then uh, lost by nine on Saturday to Kentucky. And if I remember correctly, yeah, Arkansas led 3 nothing early, and I think that was the only lead they had all game in that one. And so that was no no severe Wheeler, no Case and Wallace for uh, Kentucky, and Antonio Reeves still – Scores 37, and um, they get the win. So it's not like Arkansas is on fire right now by any means. They have not won away from Bud Walton in a month. Of course, that win was against Kentucky. Um, And then right after that, it was that close call they had with South Carolina. Uh, I mean, it's a tough matchup for sure, but Auburn is going to play an Arkansas team that 
is not shooting physically shooting the ball super well. Um, you know, 32% and uh, from deep, 69% from the line. That's 289th in the country in both categories. But they get to the rim because they're super athletic. They spread the floor. They've got multiple guys that are going to be playing in the NBA soon. They play fast. Uh, they're aggressive on defense. Um, they do foul a lot, but they they, they are like Auburn in, in that they're aggressive on the defensive end. In that first matchup back on January 7th, Auburn uh, did a great job of really outside of just fouling was their difference. Anthony Black had 23, but he shot 16 free throws in that game. Uh, Ricky Council had a couple threes, but Auburn just really, really made them struggle on offense. And so that defense that they played with against Tennessee, they need that throughout this game for them to have a chance to win. Um, because I mean, yeah, Nick Smith just changes the Nick Smith changes the dynamic of this game just because he's a guy who could be a top ten pick and and is a in an immensely uh, gifted scorer. So, yeah. It was good for Auburn to get that win yesterday because if you were having a bank on beating uh, beating Arkansas to make it to the NCAA tournament uh, in a neutral site, yeah, that, that's a lot tougher than trying to beat a Tennessee team without Zakai Ziegler at home. So, when you say you had to have that one, oh, buddy, did you need to have that one? And, man, it's just... The bracket teased Auburn so much. Oh, maybe it's the sixth seed. Oh, maybe it's not going to be Arkansas after all. And it's just like, nope. Nope. You're playing Arkansas. Good luck. The team that was predicted to be... I think Arkansas was picked to finish... What did I tweet yesterday? Arkansas was picked to finish... Was picked to finish second in the SEC this year. And finished 10th. They're still super talented, though. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Smith being out for a while changed that. Here's the thing. We could talk about like how much the tournament helps you, and I'm one of those people that think like you can go crazy in the in the in the SEC tournament, and you may move up a little bit on your line. It may move you down a little bit if you get go out early, but it really isn't going to affect you that much. However, when you're gonna if you want to play the resume comparison game for Auburn, playing Arkansas in this matchup on a neutral floor, um, it's a quad one game. It is a quad one game if you win, and a really good quad one game if you do win. So it could help your resume out. We talked about it as like, you know, some of the times the teams that you play, uh, you know, that that might not help you. You know, Pearl even said earlier in the week, like, yeah, it might not help you in the NCAA tournament seating, um, you know, with who you play in the first round in the SEC tournament. Well, as before, we all knew that Arkansas, the team that finished 10th in the SEC, but it's like, I think Arkansas is like 18th or 19th in net this year. That's that's still a pretty valuable prize to get if you're Auburn. So it will help you. It will help you for sure. Forgive me if you said this already, but Auburn 2-1 and one in neutral site games. I No, I didn't say that. So, that's a good point. I mean, you know, totally different set of circumstances with not your season on the line, but knowing that it ends your SEC tournament should you lose. Um Arkansas has had better years recently where they've made it to the Elite Eight, but obviously we've spent a good bit of time um, when we discuss Arkansas talking about them being good in regular seasons and then being very strong in the postseason. Yeah, so the last two years when Arkansas made it to the to the Elite Eight, um, let's see, let's go back to 2021. They won 11 out of their last 12 in the regular season. Uh, last year they won 
14 out of their last 16 in the regular season. This year, uh, they have lost 10 out of their last 17 games. So, I mean, it's like, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's like, oh, it's red hot Arkansas. And look, they're still really talented. Eric Musselman's still a phenomenal coach. Um, it's still going to be a, a really tough game for Auburn. But th- it's not like you're playing an Arkansas team that is just firing on all cylinders and everybody's saying, oh, watch out. Watch out for Arkansas right now. Um, but the metrics still love them for a reason. And so it's a big game. Yeah, uh, if you Auburn. told me they made it to the semifinals, I'd be like, all right, they probably played over their head a bit. But also given the talent they have and who their coach is, it's not like that would be just this stunning revelation. The winner of this matchup will play Texas A&M. And um, Arkansas did beat Texas A&M at home earlier this year. They did lose to them in, in Reed Arena. I'm very interested to see how, how A&M does, obviously coming off that big win over Alabama. Um, you know, what what does, what does A&M do? Because, let's see, away from home, they've beaten LSU, Missouri, and Ole Miss since they beat Auburn. So it's 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 very home heavy, and then obviously they get to the free throw line a ton. I wonder if the whistles will continue for them in in Nashville like they have at, in College Station. They're a very good team, obviously. Um, that would be a very interesting Friday matchup. Auburn, you know, Auburn wins. You could potentially run into Texas A and M again, who has been your thorn in their side. So, you know, it's not like they're going to have an easy path in Nashville. They're going to have to earn it um, if they want to if they want to go deep you know, here in this, in this tournament, uh, as we're recording this, I think bracket matrix hasn't done a full scale update yet. No, they haven't. Um, but I, I found a dozen, there are actually 13, uh, projections. So as the time you're listening to this, this might be out of date, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, T rank has Auburn projected as a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. I think that is factoring in, the fact that they might be considered a slight favorite or maybe just a slight dog against it's near a pick'em probably on the line against Arkansas uh, in that one. Uh, but CBS Jerry Palm has them as an eight. Uh, a couple others have them as an eight. Most of the places have them as a nine. So eight nine is probably where you're going to see Auburn most of it. Uh, and then uh, Joe Lenardi at ESPN still has Auburn as eleven. I don't know if Joe. I don't know if Joe's aware that Auburn beat Tennessee yesterday or not because um, Auburn beat Tennessee yesterday and did not move in his projection at all, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, Lenardi is uh, Lenardi's not the highest-rated bracket guy in the world. He just is on the he's just on the uh, network that owns everybody. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I would say if I had to put where Auburn was in the tournament right now, I'd say they're probably an eight nine team somewhere in that. Um, I think seven's a little little rich. I think they could a win over Arkansas could probably knock them into seven. They could probably looking at Auburn being an eight nine team uh, in uh, in the NCAA tournament right now. We'll just see how much what happens in Nashville will affect uh, the the swing of um, the seating at this point. Uh, also, uh, Sporting News has Auburn as, as a nine seed as well. Shout out to my guy, Bill Bender. Um, all right. I think that's anything else uh, on the on the basketball front you want to get to? We good? All right. Let's move on. So, real quick, uh, we will have – I'll be in Nashville uh, Wednesday. Auburn will have a practice on Wednesday. 
And then we'll have coverage um, throughout the week from Nashville. We'll switch over here to football here momentarily. But before we do that, like I said, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Spotify helps us out a ton. Also, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. If you want to get every podcast we do, including our the one we'll have later this week from, from the SEC tournament, uh, Friends of the Program, which came back last week, uh, and we should uh, be doing another one news. after Selection Sunday for those of you oh, that'll be who fun. might be interested. That'll be fun. Have celebrate Selection Sunday with with your friends at, at Friends of the Program. That'll be a, that'll be a blast for sure. Um, but you can only get that if you're a subscriber. The newsletter as well. Uh, all of our all of our writings on football and men's basketball. You can get them all right now for forty dollars for the full year. Um, so instead of playing the $6 a month for the foreseeable future, you just go ahead and pay $40 and lock yourself in for the rest of the rest of basketball season, all of spring football, all of football season next year, and pretty much all of basketball season, at least regular season next year. Uh, you can get all of that for just $40. Just go to auburnobserver.com and, uh, and sign up there. Also, Shout out to our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Homefield Apparel, the number one place to buy uh, vintage collegiate apparel. It's the most comfortable stuff you're going to wear. Sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts. Uh, they're doing jackets now. They're, they they can't be stopped. Um, they're putting out a lot of stuff also throughout uh, these these weeks, uh, these, these, these next few weeks. Um, keep an eye. Auburn might be in the mix there uh, in, moving forward. Again, I have no... I have no inside knowledge of that. I'm just saying there's a chance. But I'll tell you this. If you're listening to this on Sunday, so we're going to put this out on Sunday afternoon. If you are listening on Sunday, I want to say something real quick because it's a limited time offer. They are doing 20% off of every basketball shirt and hoodie and t- and fleece. Sorry, tees and fleece uh, at Home Field Apparel as part of their, their March Madness deal. Um, so I'm looking at it right now. Best-selling T-shirts they have at Home Field for basketball. If you just click on it, the Peacock number one, the Dunking Obby number four, uh, the Dunking Obby sweatshirt, top twenty or sorry, top fifteen at the the Orange Ever to Conquer Beard Eves Jumping Tiger, also top fifteen. These are all. I mean, Auburn basketball fans have have flooded Home Field. Maybe you're getting ready to go to March Madness. Maybe you want to. You know, buy a gift for for the for someone in your in your life or yourself uh, that loves Auburn basketball. Sunday, twenty percent off of everything basketball related. Go so go get you an Auburn basketball shirt or a fleece sweatshirt at homefieldapparel.com, and you can tell them that the Observer sent you. Painter, on top of all of this going on, we've got football to talk about. We've got spring football to talk about. We didn't talk about it on our last premium podcast. Uh, because we had um, we had some had some time time constraints and there was a lot to talk about with the Tennessee game and the Alabama game in basketball, but let's talk about it. Auburn football spring practices they're at, back on the field. Um, they're in the they're, it, so much new going on with Auburn football that it really stands out. You know, you're at the new football facility. Having two full size outdoor fields, I think, is going to change a lot for Auburn because there's so much space. Um, I, I've said it a couple of times this week. I, it felt like the first time I've ever covered an Auburn football practice when I wasn't in the way or like, you know, being, so that obviously is going to help the players out a ton, uh, too. 
uh, and the coaches, but a whole lot of new faces, obviously with Hugh Freeze, eight new assistants. Um, I think it's 21, 22 new players, so like a, over a quarter of your roster out there right now is brand new. A lot going on. Um, they had their first week of practices. We got to watch them on Monday. Uh, Wednesday, uh, they went through another drill, and then Friday they put the pads on for the first time. They're off this week for spring break, uh, but I want to talk about some things that kind of popped up from spring ball, uh, the first week of spring ball. And first off, Painter, I know you love the short king. I know you love Javarius Johnson. And Coy Moore's not a short guy by any means, but he's a little on the smaller end of the spectrum from wide receivers. Um, the shorter end, I should say. He's he's pretty he's pretty thick and physical for, for, for a wide out. But the thing that stood out to me, first and foremost, and wrote about it last week, and I want to talk about it here with you, Auburn came out there on the practice field on Monday, and we've seen more kind of pictures and, and video of it. They roll out uh, like running a pass skeleton. Philip Montgomery's like going through, leading them through the um, the drills, like going through different personnel packages, different play calls, and they run a they run a formation out there. First one we saw at least. They run a formation out there where you see uh, Robbie Ashford and T.J. Finley both throwing balls to Javarius Johnson, Coy Moore, Nick Martiner, the six six transfer from Cincinnati by way of Hawaii, by way of Marcus Davis, and Camden Brown, 6'3", super physical on the outside. Camden Brown, by the way, now wearing Tank Bigsby's number four. Just saying that's probably a pretty good sign for his uh, his his play here uh, next season. And then the 6'5", Rivaldo Fairweather, floating around as a tight end, splitting out as, as a big slot receiver. Penner, there's going to be a lot of talk about this, this, this passing game. Can the quarterbacks get better? Can Robbie Ashford be more accurate? You know, do you see anything from TJ Finley or Holden Garner in this competition? Will Auburn even get a quarterback in the portal? What what will happen? A lot of talk about that, obviously. But the receivers themselves, the guys that are they're throwing the ball to, I think need to take a step forward. And part of that is going to be can they get some big guys to make some tough catches? And Hugh Freeze asked him about it on Monday. Hugh Freeze's track record is getting those big guys involved and uh and really leaning on him. He had a ton of those guys at Ole Miss. Really interesting to see Mardner and Brown and Fairweather out there in a pretty, you know, first team. And we'll talk about the depth chart and all that. But getting those guys out there and just saying, like, hey, can we find some size to complement these smaller experienced receivers that that we have that we know that we can lean on right now? So there's clearly been criticism for the wide receiver group over the last few years, but you know since Bo Nix was quarterback and and obviously with the situation it had last year, uh, so much of the conversation understandably focused on shortcomings at quarterback, and it's like yeah, I mean what you're talking about is obviously a relevant piece of the equation. Uh, can these wide receivers make life easier on any of the quarterbacks? I, I we we talked about it in the spring breakout draft. I, I'm really high on Cameron Brown. I just the dude, the dude had nine catches last year. Three, uh, two of them were touchdowns. Like three or four of them were contested. I, I can't help it that the previous staff just didn't want to play him. I don't know why. Um, but he can he contributed for the most part when he was on the field. Um, there's an opening. They need big guys on the outside to step up, and he makes a ton of sense. And then Martiner, well, he's six six. 
He's got something that nobody else on the on the roster has. He's got something that nobody else can teach. And that's just being big and being able to high point the ball. I thought Fairweather looked really explosive and really quick um, from just the early start, the early stuff we saw out of him. You know, FIU he had good numbers on like one of the worst teams in the country and one of the worst passing games. Um, he can make some big plays happen, and so I think be interesting to see how he makes that transition to the SEC level. Obviously, other tight ends involved. Luke Deal, Tyler Fromm, Brandon Frazier makes a ton of sense because he's 6'7". Um, and then, you know, Landon King going to stay at wide receiver in this offense. What is he What is he able to do to kind of take a, those opportunities? I'm just really impressed with the amount of size that they're putting out there. And knowing Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery's track record, you've got to be able to feed the guy, those guys the ball uh, because they're going to be the ones who take that step forward for you. Um you know, you can get more production out of Javarius Johnson. You can get more production out of Coy Moore. You know, maybe get get guys like Chick Dawson and Malcolm Johnson Jr. more involved. Um, that's great. You're going to have to win some one-on-ones in this offense, and you're going to need some bigger guys to just change the way defenses react, play some different matchup um, cards on, on teams. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where that kind of evolves and goes from there. Um Kind of other things that stand out. Offensive line. There's been a lot of talk about the offensive line and for good reason. Saw a couple of things from the offensive line that caught my eye uh, here early in the week. Uh, Dylan Wade uh, is your left tackle right now, which is what he played for Philip Montgomery at Tulsa. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Gunnar Britton, good work at right tackle. First right tackle. Isaiah Miller, very interesting to see how he'll go. Right tackle, left tackle. Could he be a guy that you can move? Could you move somebody else around? Be interesting to see. Jake Thornton talked about the possibility of uh, of Isaiah Miller being a c- contributor in year one as a big JUCO target that he had from his days at Old Miss, flipping him over to Auburn. Big deal there. Um, Avery Jones, the ECU transfer, looks like he's going to be the guy at center um, because of what happened or else around him. You've got Jeremiah Wright and Cam Stutz, as we expected early on at guard. Here's Here's something that was interesting to me. Tate Johnson, uh, the uh, former center uh, for Auburn, and also Jaleel Irvin, who's also played center at Auburn, both playing guard uh, the first time we saw these guys practice. Meanwhile, Connor Liu, who was who's a true freshman, was one of the highest-rated centers in the country coming out of high school when Auburn signed him this year as the second-team guy behind Avery Jones. It seems to me the early plan – Obviously, it's tough to move around, but you bring in Avery Jones. He's a one-year rental. You know, he's grad transfer. You're going to play him. You're going to start him. He's going to be your guy, and have that while you take a guy like Connor Liu and say, "Hey, you're going to be our guy for the future. We want you to be a multi-year starter at center. Let's go ahead and get that." And if that's the chain of progression that you have, okay, the other centers that you've had in Tate Johnson, in Jaleel Irvin. Go give him a shot at guard. Nothing's locked in at any of these positions yet, and I don't think anything's locked in necessarily at guard because um, you don't have a, a FES transfer at that position. You don't even have a JUCO transfer at, at that position. Um, we do know that Hugh Freeze has said, like when he talked to us uh, in the, at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, he did talk about, like, hey, we might go get another offensive lineman. We'd like to have another offensive lineman. So... It's an opportunity for these guards to kind of kind of step up. Very interesting to see that 
again, first week of practice, it's early. It's a lot of learning. You know, don't read too much into the depth chart or who's in what order. Um, as Hugh Freeze said, he's not worried about that right now. This spring is going to be a lot of, um, you know, sorting out who they've got and letting everybody kind of get equal reps. There's going to be an order. There's going to be groups, obviously, but don't lock into it that much. But the first week of practices, there some good, some good uh, feedback uh, that we heard from people uh, inside the program on uh, the offensive line and just how smoothly things ran for such a new group and. Look, that's that's the main that's the main thing of the game here for Auburn this year because if they don't have that offensive line taking a step forward, um, what you bring in and what you change on offense, you know, might not be able to get its full effectiveness. I don't know if you'd call it a good news, bad news situation, but I guess you can look at it this way. I mean, they, they did set the bar so low for themselves over the last few seasons that seemingly with the additions they've made, like up yeah. seems like the direction they'll have to go. I don't want to be hard to be it, you know, be hard to go backwards. Yeah. Be hard to go backwards off of that for sure. Yeah, I I mean there there, there needs to be I think a good enough there needs to be enough reason for uh for hope and optimism on the offensive line and the fact that you got you know, you went above and beyond in what people thought you were going to get hitting the transfer portal and recruiting high school guys. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of tough work. I don't think Auburn, you know, is on. You do. You don't look at that group and you automatically say, "Well, this is going to be one of the best offensive lines in the country." No, you don't say that. But you say, "Hey, can they be better? And can they help an offense take a step forward and be able to do a lot of the stuff they want to do to establish it in year one against, as we've said, Painter, pretty favorable schedule, um, especially in the non-conference compared to what it could have been, (laughs) especially in the conference as well." Can you can you take advantage of that? Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Defensively, a lot of big dudes. A lot of big dudes. Um, a lot of mixing and matching, moving around. Uh, on the defensive line, the linebacker groups, it'll be interesting to see how that moving forward. Did watch the defensive backs a decent bit last week. There's one thing I want to point out for them specifically, and I'll have a newsletter on uh, on the on the on the star, the nickel position. That'll come out on Monday. Um, so by the time you're listening, this could be out already if you're a subscriber. Um, corners. Right now, Auburn only has four cornerbacks that are scholarship guys. Nehemiah Pritchett, DJ James, who decided to come back this year, and that was huge for Auburn because they both talked about going to the NFL, thought about it. Then you have J.D. Rim, who got on the field last season, was pretty effective, true freshman for Auburn. And then K.N. Lee, really highly touted uh, freshman, true freshman, early enrollee uh, in that group. Here's the thing. There's, they're going to be sorting out at nickel and safety. Zach Etheridge is overseeing that, that group. Crime Dog's been with uh, the corners. It's good to have Crime back uh, uh, on, on, the, on the program, in the program, because uh, life's just a whole lot more fun around here when, when crime's involved. Um, this is a big opportunity for those guys because you know Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James are going to be guys you lean on this year. But while other position groups, some of these younger guys are having to try to get into the mix with a bunch of others, and there's a lot of depth and a lot of competition, J.D. Rim and Kane Lee, it's like, hey, guys, y'all are the second dudes right now. Boom, go out there and get it. And so that's going to be a very big uh, advantage, I think, for them, for J.D. Rim's continuing progression, and for a guy like Kane Lee to have a shot to play right away um, because we talked about it in the, in the drafts as well. A lot of people are really high on Kane Lee uh, because of just how – 
how crazy good his offer list was coming out of high school, and um, he's just got a lot of just got a lot of potential being an early enrollee. Auburn has a billion, it feels like, true freshman corners coming in uh, over the summer, so the depth situation will be fine. Um, but for right now, it's can those guys stay healthy through spring ball and continue to kind of develop and push forward, uh, because that is going to be something uh, that we will uh, we we will keep an eye on. You could see you could see kind of the next wave getting some really valuable reps and re- really valuable um, contributions right now in spring ball. Panther, before we move on, because we want to talk a little bit of uh, combine before we go, I want to ask you about your opinion of the spring game, the eight A idea that Hugh Freeze uh, pitched the other day. Because I love it, I, I wrote about it in the mailbag this week. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, there was a question about 8A, like how do you run 8A? You know, he's big on saying, hey, there's not a depth chart or anything like that. And he says, I think the best, this was Hugh Freeze said, I think the best format I've ever done is if you're healthy enough and you want to create good on good competition, you just put the offense against the defense. You walk in the stadium and on the scoreboard is defense 24, offense 0. And the offense, your job is to score more than 24 and win. Your defense, hold them under to 24 and win. That's probably the most creative and exciting and competitive format we've done. I don't like all the formats where, all right, you get a first down, that's a point. I don't like, okay, we're going to go first team offense gets the third team defense, put up a bunch of points, make everybody feel excited. I feel like that's a false sense of where you really are. I hope we're healthy out to just go out there and compete. I'll tell the defensive staff, Roll out whoever you want, but your job is to keep the offense under whatever point spread we agree upon. That's a way to get people excited about about spring ball. It, it, it's going to be a whole lot more interesting if they end up doing this and just saying, "Hey, yeah, our yeah, the blue and the orange, and yet like some of the blues are at one. You know, it's the first team for this stretch, but in the second half, it's the second team, and it gets confusing and it's hard to read the all that uh, with the getting takeaways and box score." If you just make it offense versus defense and just kind of distill it into pure football, that that seems like a whole lot better way to do things. Tricky part here is people are going to be more inclined to watch good offense, which is always the catch-22 when you're playing yourself. And so I think by spotting the defense points, it allows the crowd to still be entertained when your offense is scoring, and also it still gives the defense something to play for. I think it's a great idea. I don't know why. Teams don't go with that more often. It's creative for sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just whatever point spread you agree on. And then it's just pure offense versus defense. Like, you can you can roll out your ones if you want to. And you can roll out your twos. And you can mix and match. And you can – I think especially when you have a situation where Freeze has talked about, like, yeah, we're not worried about whose depth chart is – who's on what on the depth chart right now. You know, everybody's going to get kind of equal reps. Yeah, why not do it in a system where it's like it's offense versus defense, not ones or twos and threes? Um, so that's a really cool idea. I hope I hope they go with it. It sounds like they'll probably go with it. Um, but like Free said, the most important part was to be healthy early. But it's hard. It's hard to get people up to for the like the actual game, and it's hard to kind of do takeaways from it and kind of like glean off it. That just seems like it just answers a lot of people's questions and makes it more fun, not only for us who have to watch it and analyze it and try to do, you know, take stuff away from it. But also, I mean, it should just be more entertaining for the fans to show up or watch on TV, which I think that might be a 
streaming or something like that this year. All right, before we go, NFL Combine, real quick, wanted to discuss uh, especially two players. Uh, Owen Papo, man, had a heck of a combine. Um, actually, I'll say three players. I think it was the three guys we did we did expect. But Owen Papo ran a 4.39 in the 40, uh, which is one of the fastest times uh, for a linebacker uh, in a while. Um, and he also went to the bench press and uh, pumped out a real real nice and easy uh, 29 on the bench press. Now, here's here's what stands out about that from, um, from Owen Papo. He had the fastest 40-yard dash of anybody, uh, any linebacker at the NFL draft. In fact, I think his 439, like he outran a bunch of safe. I think all the safeties were above 439. I think that's correct. He also had the 29, he had 29 reps of 225 in the bench press, um, which is two more than anybody else. I looked it up the other day um, because I was really curious. And actually, um, it was a it was a question from Rich Silva at the uh, Montgomery Advertiser. We were talking about it. We were trying to figure out um, when was the last time a linebacker had the fastest forty and the best bench rep, uh, you know, bench press in the same combine. The answer is wild. You have to go all the way back to nineteen ninety eight, and you have to go to Jeremiah Trotter, who played at Stephen F. Austin. Now. Some of you who are listening to this know exactly who Jeremiah Trotter is. Jeremiah Trotter uh, played in the NFL for he played uh, for 12 seasons. He was an All-Pro by his third year in the NFL, four-time Pro Bowler. He's in the Eagles Hall of Fame, um, a great all-around linebacker in his career, and that's the last time you've seen somebody be that fast and that strong for his position group at linebacker. So Owen Papo in elite company uh, when it comes to being able uh, to put on a show at the combine. And that's the thing about, about Owen um, with the injuries, some of his tape might not be the best in the world. Um, you know, looking at his production in his college career, but the man was a five-star recruit for a reason. He was a national champion in the, in the, in the spark combine, the Nike testing for a reason. And so it's not surprise it's not a surprise at all to see him go to the combine, tear it up. And basically what what you get to this point, the NFL draft people will tell you a combine will get you more attention, it'll get more people looking at you. But basically at the combine it's like, "Hey, we like this guy. We like him on tape. We, you know, or we like like his numbers." Um the combine can really just be like, "Oh, now we really really like him." Or it might get somebody where, you know, Papo might be on the borderline for some for some uh teams on their board this combine result will really, really help him out for sure. But yeah, when you're ever, when you're able to say uh, the only other guy or the last guy to do that at, at inside linebacker in the, in the, uh, in the NFL, at the NFL combine is a dude who was an all pro and is the, you know, one of the best players to ever play for the Philadelphia Eagles. That, that stands out. That uh, definitely stands out. Derek Hall uh, in his uh, NFL combine as well. Really good. Uh, had a really really good day uh, from uh, the combine, uh, running a pretty quick four five five, um, and uh, 
you know, a lot of people he was uh, had at the combine. He is top five in a lot of the a lot of the scoring that the NFL uses for their um, results uh, among edge rushers, and so he's going to be uh, a really really good uh, edge edge guy that I think is a day two guy for sure. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> I was looking this up uh, today, Penner. Uh, Derek Hall's NFL comparison, Carl Lawson. How funny, how funny is that? Uh, but yeah, I mean like either someone was like really lazy or just a kind of cool coincidence. Uh, but yeah, but it's super athletic. I mean, that was the thing with Carl, Carl, Carl and, and like Derek, I mean, Derek pumped out. Let's see. He had, uh, he didn't do bench press. I would be interested to see what he would have done if he had done bench press. Um, yeah, really strong guy, but quick. Uh, runs runs well. I think he's going to be a really impressive uh, player in the NFL. He just makes a ton of sense for somebody who needs a who needs an edge rusher. Some people have talked to him about a first rounder, more than likely second or third round guy. Uh, but not surprised at all to see a dude who has the work ethic and the and the drive of a guy like Derek Hall have a phenomenal combine. And then finally, I wanted to uh, wanted to talk also about uh, Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden ran a four seven nine uh, at the combine, uh, which for a defensive end, um, not bad at all, and uh, pretty good splits. Had decent bench press uh, bench press numbers uh, on field. The on field drills. A lot of people who are at the combine in Indy were talking about how impressive uh, Wooden was in his on field workouts um, on Thursday. Uh, so that's a really good sign for him. Be interesting. To see. I think he's one of those dudes who can kind of fit in any system you want to play. Uh, want to play, uh, whether you run a three-four or four-three. Really good start for them. Combine's not over yet. I think they're doing offensive line. Maybe running backs are still going. So Tank, I think Tank hasn't done all of his stuff yet. By the time we're recording this, this will be a an interesting next couple of days here to see kind of how the combine and there'll be a pro day coming up as well. So we'll get to see these guys again and hear from them again, but uh, not surprised at all. This is supposed to be one of Auburn's better draft classes in a while. And while they did not have the, they did not have the team success as some of their predecessors. um, I do think this was a really good crew when it came to the, uh, when it came, when it came to just being good (laughs) playing football. And and, then I think they were, Especially the last couple of seasons, they were just let down by their coaching more than anything else, and I think they're. I think several of these guys are going to prove that in the NFL. So good for them. In uh, a, a another thing, they just continuing a pretty good weekend uh, for Auburn. Um, let's see, uh, baseball. I know had a walk off on Saturday, one on Friday, going for the sweep on Sunday. Uh, softball continues to have a pretty good weekend as well. I think they did drop a game, but they were playing. Playing well recently. Gymnastics rested SUNY, so it wasn't a great score for them at Kentucky, but that was because of things going off with weather in Kentucky. And uh, there's something else that was on my mind that I'm already blanking on. But it's a good, good weekend for Auburn. Like you said, Painter, the the vibes are a lot positive, a lot more positive, which make for I think more entertaining podcasts and and more more entertaining newsletters and. You can get all of them. Subscribe to the Observer. Forty dollars for the next year if you sign up between now and the end of a day weekend. All right, that'll do it for me. 
I'll be heading to Nashville here in a few days. Looking forward to that. Um, and then we will see where Auburn goes in the NCAA tournament. We'll have our next podcast. Let's do a production meeting right here live on air. Do we want to do another one before the Arkansas game, or do we want to do one after the Arkansas game? What do you think? I would say after. However, I suppose okay. that's risky business because, you know, may not go the way you want. And if they win, they'll already turn out and play quickly. So we might have to do one super quick on Thursday night, maybe, or right. we'll see. We'll 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 keep we'll circle back. We'll, there will we'll circle back. Um, that's that's you how will get a premium podcast. Of, you will get a premium podcast of some kind. Don't worry about that. Um, but uh, yeah, no mailbag this week. I will say that just because of the because of the SEC tournament, probably won't have a mailbag for the next couple of weeks, maybe just because of. Uh, how scheduling all goes uh, with 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 March Madness and the and the tournaments, but we will be back. Um, what if we do everything? This? What if we do a brief preview that's not the full hour of the Arkansas okay. game, and then depending on the outcome, you know, I mean, we could also do like a brief recap. Uh, and if they win, then that gives you a little bit more to talk about. Yeah, I like that idea. Let's let's shoot for that. We will do. How about this? We will shoot to have Thursday morning. We will have a quick podcast on the Arkansas game. We'll preview the Arkansas game. It won't probably won't be the full hour, but we'll we'll preview the Arkansas game. And then win or lose, we will probably have something on Friday um, as well. So won't be as long of a midweek podcast this week to start, but we will give you two of them to make up for it. So. Again, pretty good time to sign up for The Observer. Uh, you'll be able to get all those sent to your inbox whenever they come out, along with all the newsletters and all the coverage of football and men's basketball. A lot of basketball towards the end of the week for sure when we are up in Nashville and then where all, wherever Auburn ends up for the for the NCAA tournament. Like Painter said, friends of the program will, will have their next episode after Selection Sunday, so you want to be around for that. That'll do it for me, Painter. Final thoughts. Where are you eating in Nashville? Oh man. There's a new a newer uh food hall on Broadway, like right near the arena that I went to when I was in Nashville for the Vanderbilt game. And uh it had so many good options that I know I'm gonna have to be sliding back in there a few times. Although I I don't you you're not gonna see me hang out hanging out on Broadway very much. That's that's just not my scene. Bam, bam.